We know an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, so why do we love seeing revenge played out on screen? Some of cinema's most iconic moments are from revenge movies. Are you not entertained? And there seems to be a constant stream of new popular films featuring main characters seeking vengeance or lifelong attempts at retaliation. But revenge narratives are some of the oldest in our culture, and within that simple framework, there are nuances in how revenge is depicted, how it changes depending on who is doing the revenge, and what the end result is when all the dust has settled. I'm getting revenge. You're getting revenge. You want revenge? I, um I'm undecided. Underpinning everything is a character who's been hurt, and so processes their anger outwards. On an instinctive level, we all understand revenge and how it can seem alluringly satisfying, but do revenge narratives that celebrate the vindictive anti-hero enact an unhealthy fantasy that we should be trying to get away from? Justice is about more than revenge. Here's our take on revenge, why it's so seductive, and how it may ultimately fall short of what we really want out of it. Revenge is a blunt instrument, and it's particularly blunt when put into the hands of a man. In these narratives, men are transformed by their rage into a different version of themselves, someone who is single-minded, aggressive, and consumed by an almost primal desire. I need to give Jax a few locos. Satisfy his need for revenge. This transformation becomes even more explicit when we're shown an ordinary family man who becomes a vigilante when his life is altered, like Gerard Butler's character in Law Abiding Citizen. When we first meet him, he's making bracelets with his daughter and about to have dinner with his wife, but his life changes when he's violently burgled and his family is killed right in front of him. What's crucial here is that the change feels final. We never get the sense that men like this can turn back, or that they even want to. It's almost as if the person that their trauma has molded them into is actually the person they were all along. I know what it feels like to be helpless. Just like when I watched you slaughter my whole family. You can't fight fate. Right, Tangentially, we often see the trained professional who's put this life behind them only to be pulled back in by a traumatic event, like in The Equalizer, Taken, John Wick, the list goes on. John Wick's path for revenge is set when criminals kidnap and kill his dog, given to him by his late wife. In that pet is the last evidence of the peaceful, perfect life he once had. It's almost as if in taking that away, he loses any connection to that person and becomes the violent anti-hero that was always inside of him. What happened, John? We were professionals. Civilized. Do I look civilized to you? The fact that these narratives are so linked with protecting family feels designed to get us to feel like these actions are, in some way, justified. Who could blame Taken's Brian Mills for wanting revenge on those who kidnapped his daughter? I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. An interesting example comes in Bob Odenkirk's Nobody, where he initially extends some empathy to those who burgle his house, but when he realizes that they stole his daughter's bracelet, then he undergoes his revenge-driven transformation. You know why I'm here. Because I'm a good man. I'm a family man. These are modern-day adaptations of stories that might feel more appropriate in earlier civilizations, at times when violent retribution may have been more accepted or even common. When we watch Maximus's quest for revenge in Gladiator or Amleth's in The Northmen, it feels like they have no other option and their brute strength, violent actions, and relentlessness is celebrated by us as an audience. But there's an irony in this framing. We're told this kind of brutal, aggressive masculinity is toxic now, and yet when we see these ordinary people wreaking havoc, we're rooting for them. What are you still doing here, old man? I'm gonna f you up. Rather than being invited to criticize their behavior, we're instead guided towards blaming the society that's created them and the justice systems that have failed them. 
Revenge films take on a very different tone when they work to empower a community that has been disempowered by society. In these cases, the story being enacted offers a kind of catharsis for the audience that isn't able to level the scores the same way, but feel comforted by seeing it happen in a safe space on screen. This also feels like a very clear societal critique. You might get jail time. How bad is that really? It'll ruin my career, it'll ruin my life. Why didn't Roman Polanski just win an Oscar? The so-called rape revenge genre does this by empowering women to target their attackers. Films like I Spit on Your Grave or Jennifer's Body give their protagonists similar transformations to the ordinary family man avenging his loved ones, the only difference being that they themselves are the ones who have been victims of these violent acts. What's wrong? You don't like it? For Lisbeth Salander in The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, this is her origin story. By exacting her revenge on her abuser, she liberates herself from him and becomes this vigilante. We're going to go to my bank and tell them that I alone have access to my money. No. <laughs> After that, you will never contact me again." A subtle difference comes in Promising Young Woman, though Cassie's desire for revenge is similarly singular. Her best friend took her own life after being sexually assaulted, so she targets men who take advantage of women, eventually narrowing in on her friend's abuser. It's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? In a post-Me Too context, we see how these male characters stand in for a certain type of guy who's been getting away with this behavior for far too long. I'm a nice guy. The first time we see Cassie do this, she literally breaks the fourth wall and looks at the camera, building that trust between her and the audience, almost bringing them in on her subterfuge. Hey, I said, what are you doing? But Cassie's eventual demise was divisive, and not everyone found Promising Young Woman so cathartic. Critiques of these films can be applied to the revenge genre as a whole. Lena Wilson argues that they offer female characters a facile kind of agency. A woman, once made powerless by an attacker, can take justice into her own hands, but she must pay for that power with her personhood. It's mercy, compassion, and forgiveness I lack. Rationality. These stories speak to how we view male and female protagonists through different lenses, and how the reality of their lived experiences are reflected in what kind of revenge they get to enact. Like another critique of Promising Young Woman stated, the film left us dwelling on the conflicting and sobering notion that while women have to plan for every eventuality, men get to kill without a second thought. And sometimes it's worth asking, are the communities supposedly being served by these films actually benefiting from them? Django Unchained feels like a revenge fantasy made for the black community, with Django as a slave owner killing anti-hero. But given that it's made by a white man, can it ever satisfyingly be that? Noah Smith argues that the film is as much about Christopher Waltz's white character, maybe uncoincidentally named Dr. King, getting revenge on the low-life slave owners of the South. He writes, I see Django as a white revenge fantasy. Whites, whose ancestors, like Tarantino's, had no part in the institution of slavery, saying, no, the South does not get to represent my racial group. Todd Phillips' Joker origin story also took on the form of a cathartic revenge narrative, but it was one that felt directed toward a kind of white male audience, men who really haven't been disempowered but feel like they are. For these revenge narratives to work, there needs to be a political message. But in Joker's case, that message at times felt muddy and confusing. Critic Annie Bundle states, The film does ask the audience to vaguely sympathize with him as an incel-like white male, even if it provides very little context for why we should or why we should not. If it was me dying on the sidewalk, you'd walk right over me. Catharsis can be powerful, and it feels important to have that played out on on some level, but in many of these cases, its execution tends to feel hollow. The problem with revenge is that it doesn't leave any room or any opportunity for acceptance or forgiveness, which means there's always one character in the story not afforded any empathy, whether or not they actually deserve it. Revenge is not good, Matilda. 
believe. One of culture's most interesting explorations of revenge in recent years has come in the Black Panther series. It's Killmonger's desire for revenge that is first used to endear us to him when he robs the stolen artifacts from the British Museum. These items aren't for sale. How do you think your ancestors got these? You think they paid a fair price? And his arguments toward the Wakandans are similarly persuasive. He, as the outsider character to this fictional world, ironically acts as both antagonist and a kind of audience stand-in. But we see how this desire for revenge consumes him, blinds him to the bigger picture, and eventually becomes his demise. I took life from my own brothers and sisters right here on this continent. And all this death just so I could kill you." This theme is returned to in Black Panther Wakanda Forever. This time, it's Shuri filled with rage after the deaths of both her brother and her mother. When she becomes the Black Panther herself, she is not visited by the elders but by Killmonger, who almost goads her into enacting his revenge philosophy. But unlike Killmonger, she does take a step back and see how this cycle of revenge just leads to more bloodshed. In Moonlight, Chiron is wronged by two people, Terrell and Kevin. They both haze him outside the high school, but Chiron is able to understand the differences between them. He gets his revenge on Terrell, but when he reconnects with Kevin again, Kevin asks for forgiveness and it's accepted. It still feels painful and raw, but there's an empathy extended there that feels really powerful. But the forgiveness that Chiron is able to afford his abuser is maybe something he's only able to do because the initial anger of the moment is in the past. I'm sorry about all that. All that shit what went down. Chiron, real shit, dog. I am. The reason revenge appears so seductive is because it offers an instant gratification. We were physically or emotionally struck by something, so it should, and often does, feel good to strike back. But this usually doesn't last. Psychologist Vanessa Van Edwards writes, even though the first few moments feel rewarding in the brain, psychological scientists have found that instead of quenching hostility, revenge prolongs the unpleasantness of the original offense. In Do Revenge, it's only when both Drea and Eleanor are at their lowest that they realize their desire for revenge isn't healthy. Does any of this make you feel better because I'm miserable. No, of course I don't feel better. I feel like shit. So do I. It can feel easier, less painful, more rewarding, and is perhaps the more natural impulse to seek revenge. But once we take a step back, we often realize that there are other options on the table, ones, at the very least, worth exploring. Stories about revenge are stories about justice. And right now, justice is complicated. We are constantly debating about what punishment should fit what crimes, the existence of cancel culture, and the societal value of the police and our judicial systems. The very people we once put our trust in to serve justice. Given how messy the cultural landscape currently is, it makes sense that we're leaning into revenge narratives. Revenge. Revenge is the sexy man's justice. But we need to push through this to understand that if we're hurt, the best way to process that is by having that hurt understood, not by projecting it outwards, perpetuating an endless cycle of violence. Films like Do Revenge and Wakanda Forever model that by showing us that working through a problem and getting to a place where you can offer empathy and forgiveness, or at the very least acceptance is the most gratifying outcome. I don't want to hurt you anymore, and I don't think you want to hurt me either.